This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Because here's what we're learning in the book of Ephesians, and we're going to just jump right in. Unity is extremely important to God, but it doesn't seem often as important to his family as it is to him. I don't think we are concerned enough with unity. And we kind of get to this place where we think it would be nice to have, but kind of a fantasy that won't ever actually happen. And so we don't think that it is as important, and we kind of just put it in the category of it would be nice, and we don't see that God himself is is in the gospel is saying, this is what I have come to do, to bring all things together. Here's what you have to see here. Sin separated us from our Creator. Sin separated God from His creation and and us from God. And we were separated. Because of sin, we were separated from Him. And what Ephesians declares from from the beginning, from uh, chapter 1, is that God Himself in the gospel is going to bring all things together. Chapter 1, he talks about how he's going to bring heaven and earth together because heaven and earth have been separated because of the fall, because of sin, because of separation, but he's going to bring all things together. This is the hope that we have, that our God is bringing heaven and earth, that this, his, his, his rule, his reign, his kingdom is coming and it's going to be established here and this heaven and earth are going to be made one again. And then in chapter 2, we see that because of sin, man and God have been separated, but now because of this gospel, because of Christ... We get to be made one with God again. We get to be brought back to our Father and united with Him. And then in chapter 3, he says, if all of this stuff is true, and in chapter 4, so he spends two chapters on this, the bulk of Ephesians is dealing with this issue of if God can bring heaven and earth together and He can bring us in unity with Him together, He for sure can bring His family together. All nations, all tribes, all people coming together as this family. He's going to talk about us being brought together as husbands and wives. He's going to talk about us being brought together as children. But he puts a, 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 a priority on dealing with this issue of us as Jew, Gentile, slave free, this this. this divides that we see in this world that we get to be brought together in Christ. And then I'm going to tell you, while I was gone, I got to listen to uh, a couple of sermons. I don't know if Jenga's here. Is Jenga here or he's not? Jenga, where you at, man? My goodness. If you did not hear Jenga preach, which I heard it was puppeted by his wife. His, she actually wrote the sermon, and he just kind of delivered it. He was, just, he was just a vessel, is all I heard. Jenga and Dominic. What a gift you guys are to this body. And and I will say that that message, as I listen to it, to hear just from a sense of 
cultural context to hear a brother in Christ declaring the unity of the body of Christ and, and bringing in things that we wouldn't think of, of other tribes and, and how each one brings different parts to the body. It was a glorious declaration of it. And I thought, I love being in this church when I heard him preach. I love that I could call this home, that this is my family. Then the following week came up another brother who couldn't be more different than Jenga, but the same. John Del Huse, who was in the first service, preached on what this is about love and how love is what brings us all together. That message I was captured by. If you didn't hear those sermons, you, you really are, are, are missing out on the flow of what God is doing in sending apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Is he's saying, if I've conquered death, hell, and sin and created separation, I'm going to need to send to you people who keep reminding you, like, like fathers and mothers in a family, it's all about us being together. He's going to send equipped and gifted people to say, remember, we got to stay together. And we've got to keep on this mission. And that that bond is love. Well, then Pastor Wayne last week, as he always does, slayed that verses 17. And, and here's what he talked about. He talked about as you are dealing with this spiritual maturity piece, we are no longer Gentiles. And it's this idea when he talks about, he's speaking to Gentiles, but he says, you cannot keep thinking as Gentiles if you're going to come into this new reality. And here's how he describes their thinking. He'd say they were only thinking about basically themselves. And because of that, in their own mind and only thinking of selves, they were, not see, they were not seeing clearly, and so they were separated and ignorant. Because of their separation and only thinking of self, they actually ended up ignorant and hard-hearted, is what Paul says. And because of their hardness of heart, here's what they began to believe. It's only about taking care of me. When you believe that lie, that it's only about taking care of me, what ends up happening is you start doing things that will please you. And that's why Paul says you started going after sexual impurities, greed, and all kinds of impurity. So whenever you start thinking that I got to please myself, what it ends up doing is, is leading you to all kinds of in, impurities instead of maturity which is what the whole theme of this is. You grow up into this headship that we have in Christ. You grow up into this unity of the body of Christ. You grow up into not independence, but actually maturity is when you're living in unity. See, this spiritual maturity piece is a, a big discussion amongst the people of God. What does it mean to be a mature Christian? And I think we take our cues from our culture rather than from covenant relationship with Christ. Meaning in culture, we believe that it's education that makes us more mature. So the more we know, 
the more mature we are. So we go after education to find our maturity, and we lean heavy on our degrees. This is what I have accomplished. This is what I have done. This is what I need, and education becomes the markers of when I graduate from this, I move up in the realm of maturity. Or maybe money. When I reach this level of money and independence, then what ends up happening is I have reached a place of maturity. I'm a grown man. I take care of myself. I'm mature. I'm grown. I don't need nobody. I got money. And the more money you get, the more mature you feel. Or maybe it's age. I've lived. I've lived. I got gray hair all over the place. Coming out of places I don't even want to say, you know, gray is everywhere. I'm mature. I've lived longer than you, kid. Age. Deep thinking. So we sit around and we're just in touch with self. We're in touch with who we are. We think deeply. These are things that we bring into spiritual development. So we tell people, get more education around scripture, get in classes, get degrees, get these things, and it will make you more mature in Christ. The more scripture you know, the more letters you have behind your name, this makes you more mature. So we look up to those who have a better degree behind, or we they, they have more money, or they have more independence, or they have gray hair, or there's deep thinking, and all these things in our minds we've adopted from. But I, I want to give you an illustration just to kind of emphasize that, that maybe we're missing what maturity is and we're wondering why are we not keeping growing deeper in our, our relationship with Christ? When I was uh, 24 years old, I, I for the first time felt like I was maturing. But here's the thing, I, I actually thought I was mature before 24. Until all of a sudden came screaming into my world, this little kid, Kairos, couldn't do nothing for me. Everything around me changed when I realized I have only been thinking about myself up until this point. It's all been about my dreams, my future, my career, my life, all the things I can accomplish in this world. And all of a sudden, I, I looked at this person I've never met, and I felt so much love and affection for, and I said, I got to grow up. And maturity was marked by a love for another rather than a pursuit of self. And the reality of what marks spiritual maturity, when a young man, when a, when a child goes into a young man, so there's, there's three phases you see in Scripture. There's children, there's young men, and then there's fathers. And here's how it's marked. He says, children, as you grow into this young man, and when you know you've grown into that next phase, it's not an age, it's when you become this Father who cares for the other. Listen, unity with the family of God and what marks spiritual maturity is love. 
It's love. Mm. See, I could trek with that, right? Mm. You know what I'm saying? I could trek with that because could you, you sit there and, and you make this, this example. And I think about times, times inside of my life where I see this, this, this change in mentality. Because there was a, like, if anybody know me, I'm a massive hip hop head, right? You're like, like, hours inside the studio. No, no, I'm a, I'm a master of hip hop, right? <laughs> but hours, hours inside the studio, hours, like, man, trying, like, disconnected from the fam, trying to, like, make this thing, thing happen, connected to a lot of, a lot of good things, but then comes this time, like, you know, as you growing into a family and, and, and your, your thinking starts to, start to shift because it stops being about, about me and me just chasing my dream and doing what I'm doing. And it starts being about, man, how am I there for my fam? Come on. Right? And, 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 and that may mean that um, my dreams change and my dreams shift and, and they, they grow up some, right? Mm -hmm. They mature some. And, and, and this, is, this is exactly what Paul is trying to point to because True maturity starts to happen when you actually start caring about others, come on, right? Come on, come He's on. talking to them about what it looks like to live together as the, as, as the body of God, yes. right? And, and, and he's like, you have to stop thinking about you. It's about thinking about him and her. And, 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 then, and then they're doing the exact same thing. So Paul's vision of maturity was, has so much to do with contemplating the other, Thinking about the other, the changes inside of your life for sake of the other. And the reason why this is a challenge and why Paul has to point it out because, A, you have the sin inside of our own hearts, right? That's all about self. That's all about me. And we always got to fight that, right? You have the sin and the brokenness of this world that we live in, a culture that constantly says, yo, that's the thing to do. And it constantly leads you to, to, to do your own thing, which plays into what the enemy of our soul is constantly doing, which is cultivating a spirit of division, right? Intentionally cultivating the spirit of division. So maturing, right, maturing as a body of believers that have um, diverse people inside of it, diverse giftings, diverse um, experiences, diverse backgrounds, in order to actually grow in maturity takes intentionality. Intentionality as for us to push into this as we, as we trust the spirit of God. That's why Paul goes through this section right here of intentional living with the other, and he characterized it with put on and put off and put off and put on because he's saying that there's intentional things that you have to do inside of it. Yes. So what I want to do, if you'll stand with me, right? Let's, let's dive into this text. We set it up enough. You stand with me. Oh, we're in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're on verse 25, walking through this, this, this thing on intentionality. I'm going to read it. It says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. 
Father, this is, this is your word, and we thank you, Lord. We ask that you would take your truths, that you would plant them deep into the depths of our heart, allow them to take root and to sprout, bearing much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now check this out here. Again, this all continues with this narrative of, 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 of the Gentiles being included inside this, the story of God and what it looks like for these different people to live life together with one another. And, and he, he says, in order to do this thing, he tells them, like, put off, put off, put off falsehood. But then what he wants there to be is, like, let there be a culture of speaking truth to one another. Right? This is like you're being drawn out of one culture into another culture. And, and, and this culture is a culture of speaking truth to one another, right? I want to talk about that this morning. Like, let's talk about what this culture looks like, right? Uh, um, you see, here's what this is not, right? When we hear speak truth to one another, here's what it's not. Here's what it's not. It's not. Speaking your own opinions, right? Let me let me just tell you how I feel about that, Uh right? That's that's not the that's not what he says is the thing that that characterizes the culture of this this family that's living together. Just speaking your own feelings and or 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 speaking the things that further your personal agenda, whether it be. Ethically, politically, whatever it is, right? And, and, and creating a dynamic that anything that doesn't track with what your personal agenda is gets casted out. That's not what he's talking about here. When he says, listen, I want you guys to speak the truth to one another. And that to be a culture amongst you, you as, 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 as family members. This, this truth is the gospel. Yeah. A culture of speaking the gospel to each other. Husbands speaking the gospel to their wives. Wives speaking the gospels to their, to, to their husband and to their children. And to brothers speaking their sisters. Like, this is the culture. We speak the gospel to one another. Yes. Speak the truth. Now, this, this, this truth, this gospel is the word of God. And what I want to do is I want to linger a bit. I want to put up um, Hebrews 4 and 12, right? Because I want to talk about this, this speaking of truth to one another because a lot of times we can, we can go the wrong direction with, with what we think it means when we want to carry the gospel and speak the gospel with one another and, and, we, and we fling the Bible around left and right, right? In Hebrews 12, it reads like this, For the word of God is living and active, Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and of discerning and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I want to I linger on this as we talk about what, how this truth looks applied and lived into. Look at this. I want to I break Hebrews 12 down. Look at this. He says, for the word of God is living and active. That means not just words spoken. 
It's living and acted. It's embodied through, like, you speak the word of God and how I live and how I love with one another. Yes, you definitely use words, right? But if you think the words is the only thing that you're using to, 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 to speak, you're missing the whole reality of what communication is. Communication is making sure that the other person gets it, not just hurling it out there. So you're, you're speaking, it's not just word spoken. And then he says, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. So you got this truth that's being given to you. And he says, you speak the truth with one another, and, and it's, like, it's like a sword. And know that this sword is sharper than any other sword in existence. Yeah. It's the sharpest sword out there. Here it is, and it's handed to you. But this description here, he goes, he says, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow. Like the distinction here is the difference between someone who handles the, the word of God as he, he, he speaks truth to, to, to one another, the difference between a warrior and a surgeon. Right, you got to get this, right? You see, a warrior, a warrior attacks and cuts for the purpose of destroying. That's the why. That's why they pull out that sword and they hurl that sword towards you. And the purpose of them hurling that sword is to cause damage, to destroy. And, 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 and they swing the blade, not caring where and how it lands, just that it connects. And, 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 and it's like, man, but you're destroying your brother. You're destroying your sister. They're laying there on the floor, and they're bleeding out. And you're, you're like, but I just gave them the word. I spoke truth to them. But they're on the floor dying, and this is not what the truth was meant to do. No, 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 no. This sharpness, being able to, to cut in between, like this is what a surgeon does. See, a surgeon cuts to save life and to bring health, to cut out things that are decaying and, and to separate things that are needed so that there would be health. Not just to, to say that I throw the word out there. I don't just swing for the sake of swinging. He knows where to cut and he cares about it. He cares about where to cut. That's why he slows down and thinks. Between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, he even cares how much pressure he applies to the, to the blade. Because you can cut so deep in that you go in and you cut other organs and you feel that you were doing a good job, but you made more damage than it was before you even started. Because you don't even care how much pressure you apply to this thing. I just, I just want to give him the truth. Here's the word. This here, and he says, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So he goes in with this blade that's sharper than any other sword. And he leans on the spirit of God for discernment. On how to do this thing. Not just that I do this thing, but Lord, I need your discernment in how I do this thing. You see, truth is more than just words that are given. Way more than just words that's given. Yes. 
Yeah, that reminds me of, uh, of the story of Peter, who is seeking to defend Jesus yeah, yeah. from going to the cross mm. and seeks to kill Jesus' enemy mm. to protect him. And maybe that guy was trying to dodge the sword or, or whatever was happening, but he, he sliced his ear off. And Jesus doesn't go, yo, this dude's got my back. Peter's loyal. He rebukes Peter. He picks up the ear and puts it back up on his head because many of us don't realize that Peter could have been the most loyal disciple, but just hours later, he was going to stab Jesus in the back. And Peter was going to need the same grace that he wouldn't give. You see, many of us are cutting the ears off of our listeners. Nobody wants to be close to us, and many of us are spending all of our times separating and trying to kill our enemies. And what we need to hear is that Jesus is rebuking us and healing them. Because if we're honest with the same sword that we're ready to kill Jesus' enemy, we really feel like Jesus needs our defense. That we're here to defend him. I, I watched this week, uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And I could go into so many things about that movie. I, I, I really believe it's one of the most significant stories that's being told right now. For this reason, in the midst of that, and I could go into so much more, there was a belief in this man, Fred Rogers, because he was an ordained minister who was sent into these places, that everything he did was representing this call to say, won't you be my neighbor? Because notice he says, you can't speak the truth unless you have this heart. This is my neighbor. Won't you be my neighbor was his call. And when he walked into the room, what, 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 it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? What's he doing while he's singing that song? He's taking his shoes off. And what else is he doing? He's putting on other shoes. He's taking off his coat and putting on a sweater. He is doing what Ephesians chapter 4, and you better believe he knew what he was doing. He was putting off things that separated. And he was putting on things that would bring together. All with this reason. You see, I think what we have in this world is a bunch of people who are screaming the truth because they think the truth is a set of beliefs rather than a relationship with Christ. Jesus is the truth. 
He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father unless he comes through me. You don't know the truth apart from knowing Jesus. And Jesus came into this world showing that the truth is not just a cold set of laws. It's a warm, embodied, close and near relationship that Jesus knew that the only way for the truth to get to his family was not for him to shout it, but to whisper it in their ear. And to whisper it in their ear, he had to be close. Can I I just say, as a pastor, one of the most disgusting displays is when people who know the truth spend all their time screaming it. I I am frustrated and discouraged by how many of us use social media to scream out truth. And I'll just say, because I know you all, I know your relationships are terrible. Many of y'all who have the worst relationships spend the most time screaming truth. That's not the gospel. It's not maturity. And it's not what God intended for us. Truth is given to neighbors. Our war is not against flesh and blood. So why are you trying to kill people? It's against principalities and rulers of the darkness of this age. If the gospel is about bringing things together, the measure of what you know is how many close and near relationships do you have? This reality is whispered into the ears of friends because when you get close enough to go, I care deeply enough about you and I know I have the truth of God to cut into you, but will you trust me to to do some surgery on you? All of us know we need to be cut deep and there's things that need to be cut out of us. I'm only trusting a friend to do it. Listen, guys, this idea of having the truth apart from embodying it and being close to people and being in unity assumes that we can have a set of opinions and laws and rules apart from God himself, his heart. You said, yeah, but louder is more effective. No, it's not. You reach more people. No, you don't. You may get more popular. Maybe. But effective unity comes when you are in close proximity with people you love, living out this life of love. See, that's, that's, that's amazing when you think about this, this culture of truth that he's drawing them in and saying this is how you live where, where you are embodying the heart, the mind, and the mission of Christ and how we converse and communicate with one another. And it's, it's, it's huge. You see, throughout this whole time while Paul, Paul is, is, is teaching, he's being really, really intentional, right, 
Like, you'll read through these verses, like, from 417 to 54, and what you'll notice, you'll notice a rhythm, right? You'll notice a rhythm, right? Because he says, put off this, put on that. But he always says, for this reason. Put off this, put on that, for this reason. He's being really, really intentional with, put this off. Now put on that because it's going to impact this. In, this. in this scenario, he says, he says, put off falsehood, put off lies, and put on the truth. Why? Because we are members of one body. His, his, the heart and the reason why he's, he's pointing this particular thing out right here, right? And, and this is what I want to ask you to do. Like, if you want to, you could turn to 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through um, 26 or... You know, you could don't turn there, right? But, but I'm gonna, but I'm about to go there, right? So that I'm said all that to say this, right? I'm about to go to First Corinthians 12 and 26, and and the reason why, right? The reason why, because you see, like we walked in depth with what it's what it means to 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 talk the truth with your neighbor, but here's something you got to grasp here. You can't just paste truth on top of lies. We want to do that, right? But you can't just, just paste truth on top of lies because what's going to happen is that those, those lies will sit there and still try to hold the throne of truth inside of your heart. And then you'll end up toggling from one thing to another. One day you're all about the gospel. The next day you're all about this thing over here that's supposed to be dead. No, you can't do it. You have to put off the lies. And when I say put off, I'm not talking about, like, put it nicely and neatly inside your back pocket or in a place that you'll save for later. You have to kill it. You have to get rid of the lies. You have to disconnect from it altogether and then put this truth back on. But before it's possible to kill the lies, you got to identify them, though. You have to know that this is a lie. And the thing is, we have lies that, that, that we believe that we're living in, nar- narratives of lies that we have no idea. It's a lie. You have to identify those things. So in, Ephes- in, in Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 26, Paul is talking to them about the exact same thing. He's talking to them about them being members of a body and being joined together. And, 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 and then he identifies these lies that different members of the body are believing, hindering their maturity together. It's sort of like, like autoimmune disease. What it does is it tells lies to the body and turns the body in on itself. So I want to read this and want to talk about some things. I want to identify some lies today, right? If we're going to put off these lies, let's, let's identify them. So in 12, let me read from um, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 to 16. I'm going to read that part. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks. All right, so he highlights this ethnicity. Slaves are free. He highlights class. And all are made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Now he goes into the lies. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Lie. That would not make it any less a part of the body. 
If the ear would say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any, any less a part of the body. One of the lies that needs to be put off is that I don't belong. Now, I can go in and I can speak about this myself intentionally because I know that, that as, if we're going to have honest family conversation, right, I know like being a minority, living into this, there are so many things about, about um, the, the culture of the church that, that, that make you feel like, well, I don't belong. I don't belong. I might, I might clap my hands way too long. Or I might, I, I, might, I might shout and say hallelujah when everybody is awkwardly silent. Then I start to feel like I don't belong. Or, 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 or you have like all these things around you that, that are actually are saying you don't belong. Right? Because I'm not trying to say that people aren't saying that or implying that. Like just not even thinking. But he's saying it's a lie. See, the problem is believing it. Not whether or not it's being said. The problem is that you actually believe this, 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 this false narrative that you don't belong. So since you start believing this false narrative that you don't belong, either you got to find more people that look just like you where you feel like, okay, now I belong, or because you want to hang around things that you think is really, really good. Like, man, they got a lot of dope theology. So what you do, and I, but I don't feel I belong. So what you do is offer up a false version of yourself that looks more like them. Come on. Come on. So that I can belong. Because you sort of bought into a narrative that, that you don't belong. Like the God of all creation did not intentionally make you exactly how you are to function inside the body, specifically the way that he made you. And grow inside this dysfunctional, deformed version of Christianity, right? So, so, so there is a thing that you really battle with feeling like, well, I don't belong here. I, I know for me, I felt that when I first came, when I didn't think that I belonged, I even, I came and I was visiting, and, I, and I, I, I'm like, well, well I, they don't need me. But I love the preaching. Aaron was preaching, I remember and stuff. We was back at Life Connection. Like, and I just, well, I'll just, I'll just hang out inside the back because I didn't really think like there was anything that I had to offer because I was believing some lies that weren't, that weren't actually true. So we wanted to, I want, want to point this out today that there a lie that needs to be put off. I don't belong. Mm. You do, mm. right? The powerful reality of that is that Paul is speaking to different parts of the body and he gives those two parts he says ethnicity differences so majority minority jew gentile slave free so this would be class basically rich poor massive divides and he starts with addressing and saying listen what i don't want is for those who are the weaker parts yeah, yeah. the minority the poor I don't want them to believe the lie that they are not needed or they don't belong. But then he speaks to the majority and the rich and he addresses the lies they can believe. This is verse 21. The eye, which is a vision part of the body, an important part of the body, can say this, I don't need you. 
And the head can say to the foot, the head has authority, could say to the foot, that's the tail, or the bottom, could say, I don't need you. See, many of us don't realize that this is a lie, not because not everything around us is saying that. This is a lie because we believe it. Wayne just said this. It's not that nothing is saying to those who are on the outside and the other and the poor that you don't belong. It's when you believe the lie that you don't belong. And it's not when those of us who are a part of the preferred and the majority and the rich part of, 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 of a body that everything's telling us we don't need them, it's when we start to believe we don't need them. Uh, early on in my marriage, I was carrying over single life thinking, young man thinking. I really believed, and I know none of y'all, this is just me. I believed I was God's gift to the church. I believed that I was God's gift to Dana, to preaching, and all of those things. I have lived a life where everything around me was just like, man, you can do this. You're strong. You have influence. You can get into places. I was, I was believing the lie. And in the midst of an argument with my wife, which... I said something that was so completely immature. I said, I want you. I didn't say it this way. I screamed it. I want you, but I don't need you. I crushed my wife. That, that, that comment got brought up for years. I know maybe y'all don't have arguments that get brought up for years, but <laughs> that comment got brought up for years until, because I had spiritualized it. I said, girl, listen, I'm not saying I don't want you. You, you, should, you, you, you should know that I, I, I want you. I'm just saying I only need Jesus. God wants us to only need Jesus. That's it. Just need Jesus and that's it. All I need is Jesus and I don't need anything else. And, then, and, and everything else is just want. And if you go, I'll keep going. If you stay, I'll like it. I'll enjoy it. But I don't need you. That carried on until God took his word and cut. Because the reality is, as a man, as a stronger part, as a richer part, as a majority part, the truth is, you could cut them off and probably succeed and probably go on and probably live. And there are many in the church who are functioning this way. There are many churches from predominant culture, wealthy contexts, who live this way. It would be nice to have minorities and poor people. But we don't need them. It'd be nice. I mean, they could come as long as they fit in with what we're doing. They could come. But we've functioned without them before. We've paid our bills before. We've done all the things before. We've functioned in this way. And all along they're going, I want them here as long as they fit into our context. 
and our rules, but I don't need them. And many of us who live in that place of strength and are, are the parts of the body that are the most visible live our lives in this way. We live our lives not recognizing that we need. And when we fall into this trap, it's not just, oh, yeah, we got to take care of them. This is not a paternal relationship where we're just like taking care of those who have less than us. This is a seeing those who are a part of our family and realizing without them we can't be a family. That's it. That's it. And it's not just what I can give to them. It's about we are incomplete without each other. Everything is saying I don't belong. You have to believe I belong. And not just I belong, I'm needed. And I got to believe that this is not just about how much I've lost. Every time we sit down, and I, I, I'll share this just to give you a glimpse, not because this is Wayne and I's deal. You all realize this is us, right? We're in this together. We've garnered, not, I mean, we, we ain't on TV or something like that, but we've had people say, can we take you all the coffee, Wayne? Can, can you guys go sit down? Can we take you all the coffee and just sit down and just kind of talk about uh, what you all got going on there? Because there's something happening. It seems like a family. There's a bunch of different types of people. There's things taking place. What is going on? So we've got more free coffees <laughs> than we can deal with. I don't even know. Do you like coffee that much? No. <laughs> I like coffee. And we're sitting there, and what ends up happening is you see people look and go, man, there's a, there's a cultural tide. Things are changing, and people are starting to go, something's off with the church. So they're going, how do we get, like, what you got? And, and, and what it ends up coming down to is people looking at me and going, look, Man, this is cool. This is nice. I'm glad you all are doing this. But man, Aaron, it's honorable how much you've given up to make this happen. And they immediately start highlighting because they connect with any sacrifice they think I've had to make. And what I have to do is correct them and say, uh, no matter what you think I've lost, I've gained so much more. I actually don't think I've lost anything. I think I've gained everything. I was, I was not a full expression of who I should be without this family. Oh, I could have done it on my own. I could have stepped out. of. But I'm going to tell you this. In the eyes of the gospel, in the eyes of scripture, I would have been an incomplete, lonely expression and not the full expression of what the body of Christ looks like. And let me, let me say this, man, as we, we get ready to go into communion. Like, when you believe the lie inside of your heart that I don't belong, even when you try to be a part, it's going to hinder how you function. Because deep inside of your heart, you actually believe I don't belong, even though you pretend that you don't believe that, Right? So you have no idea how it permeates to every single aspect. And then on the flip side, even deep down inside your heart, you actually believe I don't need the other. You have no idea of the atmosphere of I don't need the other that it creates that the other can tell, right? As Paul is pushing into this and building his church up, 
He's saying these are lies that can't, like there's no room for it. There's no room to say it and there's no room to believe it. Right? And he calls them to walk in everything that God had uniquely made them for the sake of the upbuild of the church and reflecting his kingdom. This is something that we got to grasp and, and hold on to tightly as we preach through this and as we walk and move through this as a body of believers today. Our example is, is in Christ. And I, I want you to think about this. As we look at this cup and we partake of communion today, I want you to think about how often we talk about if there's anybody who didn't need anything, it was God. He's all sufficient. Everything he needed was in himself. But God demonstrated to us what true love was. And he showed us the value of him being fully committed to his word, his promise, his creation, his people, that he couldn't be who he said he was apart from reconciling his family back to himself. He's promised he's going to do it. His word promises he will do it. He's paid the highest price to do it. And if there is anything we need to see as we come to this table is that this is the greatest declaration of this. You belong. You belong with him. You belong with your creator. You belong with the father. You belong with with him, and so often we're like, "Well, I don't belong. I, I don't, I, I, I don't deserve it. I, I don't. I can't have it. I don't belong." And he's, that's a, that's a lie from the enemy to try to separate us. That God demonstrated this love for us, and He showed us that in Himself He was willing to humble Himself all the way down to the point of death. But just think of this. He also came in flesh and dwelt among us and made himself dependent on a nursing mother. Put himself in flesh. Made himself dependent on a nursing mother in order to be and show us what true love, what true unity, what the, the cost of this kind of reconciliation is. And church, God's demonstrated to us how much he wants and is going to reconcile all things. He has paid the highest price. But there's something else that happens when we come and unite ourselves with him. And as we're reaching for the table, all of a sudden we look over and somebody else is reaching for the same cup. And we realize we're a part of a family where God is bringing his family, his people together, and he shows us that love, it's not just about me and him, it's about us as the family of God, loving him and loving others. And that we get to live into this reconciled, close life where the truth is being spoken. 
that truth is bringing people together. Here's, here's what I want to ask us. Truth is designed to bring us into unity, to bring us close, to grow us up into our relationship with Him. Is that how we're using truth? Is that what's happening as we speak the truth to our neighbors? Is that what's taking place? Are we, yes, it's painful. It's easier to feel separated, but I'm going to tell you, it's easier because you're alone. It's easier because you only hear yourself. It's easier because you're apart. And everything in us wants to separate and just kind of stand in cold truth. And he's saying, no, push into, as Christ demonstrated to us, push into, get closer, get near. Sacrifice self, lay down our lives that we would see what it means to live in a life of love and unity with one another. So as we sing this song together, church, here's what I'm asking you to do. Don't just coldly march to the table, but let the words of this song sink into your heart. And as you feel God's Spirit drawing you, and you come to the table, maybe with your family or others around you, and if you need to pause and wait as the song is being sung, we're saying our hearts are glad that you're our Father. As we're coming to this table, you're our Father. We're adopted into your family. Now teach us to hear your voice. Whisper it in our ears. Let this prayer of faith that we are singing become an actual prayer from our hearts. And as we partake in communion, maybe gather with people around you. Take communion together. Pray together. Let's make space right now to not just march through this time, but to, to press into the Lord's table together. Church, the tables are open. They're going to start singing. And whenever you want to come, let's partake together. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.